I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome everyone to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by the Liverpool.com editor, Matt Addison. And today, naturally, with the transfer window coming to an end, we're going to kind of reflect on Liverpool's business this summer and and the factors that have shaped it. And our specific focus is going to be on the Saudi Pro League, which has obviously become a huge player in the market in the past few months. So, Matt, we knew when the Public Investment Fund, who obviously... Uh, the majority owners of Newcastle, when they started, you know, pumping money into, you know, those four clubs in the Saudi Pro League, everybody knew it at that time that it was going to have repercussions for the European elite. We just didn't know kind of how it was going to go and what specifically those would be. It was inevitable that Liverpool were going to feel the consequences themselves um, as one of those, you know, huge clubs and um, one of those huge, you know, generally Champions League outfits. But have you been surprised by just how big and just how immediate, I suppose, you know, the impact has been on Liverpool this summer? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the big surprise really is is probably Jordan Henderson. I think you could probably make a bit of an argument around one or two other players that would be targeted. I know we're going to come on to Mohamed Salah. That doesn't make a, a huge shock that they would be interested in him. You know, someone like a, a Fabinho, who obviously struggled last season, you know, that kind of player that is almost, you know, a little bit, past the best and, and maybe you know would be tempted to go and, and try something else and maybe go to a league where let's be honest right now that the quality isn't there particularly across the course I know they've spent you know a lot of money and they've brought in a lot of players and you know it will dramatically increase but right now it's nowhere near the level of you know the, the top European leagues in terms of the, the standard and the intensity so I thought initially that they would concentrate on that kind of player and um, it's it's kind of gone from not really being a massive worry at all because it would be ridiculous at the start of the summer to think that you know Mohamed Salah or Neymar or these players would even think about going over there but I think as as the summer has progressed Henderson and Fabinho that was a big turning point I think in terms of, of being able to attract those players Neymar has obviously since gone there and now as we speak I don't think Mohamed Salah will go there I don't think that that's something that Liverpool would even consider thinking about no matter what the offer was at this point in the summer. But I just think, you know, it's it's accelerated a lot more quickly than what I thought it was going to. At the start of the summer, you knew that there was something there, but we didn't know quite what the extent was. But it does kind of feel like within the next two or three years, it's probably going to be not a million miles away from the, the, the rest of, of the European leagues. And to be honest, when you look at what PSG have done in 
League One or what Bayern do in, in the Bundesliga, they hoover up all of, of the talent. It's probably not that hard to think that you know, maybe within five years that the Saudi League could be on a par with those leagues because they're not as competitive as the Premier League. I think that the big one will be the Premier League because there's so much money in there already. It doesn't really matter how many how many players you take. It's going to take a lot to get to that level of competitiveness where there's that many good players across the course of a whole division. But I don't know if, if the money is essentially unlimited, then I suppose it's probably an inevitability as the, the years go by. Yeah, I mean, a, f- a few things to, to touch on there. I mean, obviously the comparison with the Premier League is interesting because I think the reason that above all the Premier League is kind of on its own level is that as a product, it's much better than what those other leagues can provide. And, you know, obviously competitiveness is part of that, but also just kind of, you know, um, I suppose the intensity of it as well. And it's kind of self-perpetuating because Premier League's got itself into the best financial position. So it gets the best players, the best coaches. So it stays at the top with that. The Saudi Pro League's a bit different. I mean, at the moment, I mean, I don't know about you, Matt, but I think there is a, a UK TV deal for it. Um, I personally wouldn't have any interest in watching, you know, Saudi Pro League games this year. Um, I think maybe a lot of people would feel the same. Maybe some people, you know, do want to watch them. They do want to see kind of those stars playing and that, that's obviously fair enough too. But I think the money is going to come from kind of the, the limitless resources. I mean, I think I, I Googled it the other day. You know, the, the public investment fund, I think, has about, has a net worth of hundreds of billions you know it's it is effectively a limitless pot of money so you know with that coming from from on high really to those clubs and obviously you know trickling down the division to a degree as well then i think you know it's whether that business model competes with the premier league in terms of it can they kind of get the product to the same level of of interest um i think that the, the trickle down point that you made is is really interesting because that's something that we do see within the premier league isn't it you think of a declan rice for example this summer Arsenal have spent 105. <coughs> excuse me. Arsenal have spent 105 million, and then West Ham have spent that money lower down, and some of that money will have gone further down the leagues. And I don't know, to, to take Jared Bowen as an example, a few years ago they've spent that money, and that's gone further down the league. At the moment, we're not seeing that with with Saudi. They're taking the, the players from elsewhere, and it's really sort of four or five clubs, isn't it? It's not, you know, that that money is is from elsewhere and other leagues are benefiting from it. So it'd be interesting to see, I think, how long it takes before something like that happens. I think that's that's definitely a big advantage for the Premier League at the moment. Yeah, because you look at it and you've got those four teams who've obviously basically been taken over. Um, and then is there going to be this kind of situation where the rest of the league is just kind of detached? Um, perhaps, but also I think what's interesting there is, you know, you've mentioned Jordan Henderson already, perfect example you know, as a fact, the club who've signed him, they've managed to bring in Steven Gerrard, huge managerial name. Um, they've also got, you know, Henderson on, on a big contract as well. You know, obviously, maybe the estimates of how much he was going to earn were a bit over- overstated, but still, you know, a huge deal, which is a big part of the reason that he wanted to make that move in the first place. So you, you wonder if that's going to be the case where maybe they can't do the same amount of big deals, but they can get in their own fair share of like established players. So they can at least kind of compete. I mean, that is going to be an interesting feature of it as well. Um, and I think what's interesting, and we're going to, we'll kind of come on later in the podcast to sort of what the future is going to hold um, and kind of speculate a little bit about what might happen. But there's so much uncertainty at the start of this summer, like you mentioned, Matt, and we didn't know what the specific impact was going to be on teams like Liverpool. I think there's uncertainty with the future too, to be honest, because like, it is still really early. You know, we don't know 
what it's going to look like in even next year or X amount of years down the line. Um, but it does feel like the landscape of football is kind of being reshaped a little bit at the moment. Um, but if we bring it back to like Liverpool's just transfer window for a moment, if we cast our minds back to sort of the start of July, Liverpool have signed McAllister, signed Sobersly. They've got basically two months of the window still to go. Everything's looking pretty rosy, you'd say, in terms of midfield rebuild. A couple of quality players coming in. Liverpool have got full control of the situation. They're moving at their own pace. Then the interest in Henderson and Fabinho kind of felt like it changed everything in this Liverpool transfer window um, and completely changed the dynamics. I mean, would it be fair to say, Matt, that that kind of derailed things? Because I think, you know, now as we approach the end of the window, it feels like most Liverpool fans wouldn't be satisfied. Whereas at that stage, before the kind of Saudi league intervened with Liverpool, it felt like things were going really well. Yeah, I don't think you can really make an argument any other way other than it having been a shock. I, th- I think that, that somebody like Henderson wanted to, to make the move as much as anything else. I think you know, we, we wouldn't have known that that interest was going to be there and we wouldn't have known at the start of the summer quite the extent of, of the recruitment drive. And you think of you know even younger players like Gabriel Vegas made that move over there now and, and things like that. It's obviously going to increase. And I think you know by... January or next summer. I'm not quite sure how the uh, the Saudi league's transfer window works. Whether it's the same as here, and they have a, a mid-season um, edition as well. But you know, whenever the next level of, of uncertainty is going to come, I think they'll be much more prepared for it. I think all the players will be much more prepared for it as well. I think you know we saw the moves for Henderson and Fabinho drag out for quite a while. I think that probably to some extent was probably to do with them thinking, you know, do I want to make the move or not? How much should I value myself within this new market? We don't quite know where the markers are. All of that sort of thing, I think, will be much clearer in a year's time when potentially this happens again. And There's almost certainly going to be Liverpool players that get targeted or, or other players, and we'll kind of have a bit more information about it. But I think this time around, it just caught everyone a little bit by surprise. Obviously, we know Liverpool have... A contingency plan for if they were to lose any player whether that was to a sale or maybe someone got a long-term injury before the end of the transfer window and they could go out and and sort of turn to probably three or four players in each position that they look at but it, it was just such a such a surprise i think that the ideal thing would have been you know obviously to stagger the midfield rebuild and, and do it bit by bit but the fact that they didn't do anything last summer then this has happened players' contracts coming to an end, it's it's almost coming the worst possible summer, I think, for Liverpool in terms of you know changes and, and how they've evolved this midfield. It could have been a lot different if it had been spread over three summers. Ultimately, Liverpool put themselves in a position where it had to all be done at once. So, yeah, it's, it, it's a hard one to know exactly how much of that was their own fault, but I think certainly to some extent it definitely was. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. 
It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, I think, I mean, then there's someone I was going to say this earlier. If someone had said to you, in you know January of this year, that Jordan Henderson come the start of of the following season was going to be playing his football in Saudi Arabia. You know, you would have just thought that that was completely inconceivable, to be honest. Um, and I think the point you make about the pace of Liverpool's rebuild is a crucial one too, because it felt like when McAllister and Salbastai came in, it felt like it was kind of. It did feel like an evolution. It felt like, you know, you're adding a couple of pieces in, into that equation in midfield. It felt like the pace was very controlled, that it was going to be this kind of um, transitional year in the sense of moving from the old the old guard to these newer players without necessarily kind of, you know, sacrificing the team's results, whereas it became this fully-fledged overhaul because of the interest from, from Saudi Arabia, where now you've really got Thiago left there as the only kind of senior presence from, from previous years who's, who's still at the club. And there's obviously question marks over how much he'll actually be involved. So it looks very different in there all of a sudden. And I think had Fabinho and Henderson stayed, I think Henderson would have played a significant amount of football this year, even if he hadn't been a starter ahead of Sabaslai. I think Fabinho probably still would have been Liverpool starting number six as well. I think maybe someone would have come in to, to back him up a little bit more. But I think Liverpool probably happy with how he did the end of last season. And we're ready to back him to go again. Um, but like obviously I'm talking about this in terms of you know derailing the transfer window and ruining Liverpool's transfer plans or however you want to frame it. But is there an argument that Liverpool could have actually used this as an advantage? I mean, we, if you take Chelsea for an example, they managed to get quite a bit of money from um, different clubs in the Saudi Pro League for some of their players who were just out of favour and not really wanted anymore. Um, and they've been able to maybe use that to balance their books with this crazy spending spree that they've been on. Bit different at Liverpool, you know, with the self-sustaining business model. But you know, it felt like when those deals went through, as much as there was uncertainty around it, it was fifty-two million for two players who struggled last season and looked to be past their best. Is it a missed opportunity as well? You know, to capitalise on that Saudi interest because we're talking about it now and kind of maybe negative terms in the sense of the damage that it's done, but it could have actually been a, a real benefit to us, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it that way, but I think for for that to happen, probably Liverpool have to do one more midfielder before the transfer deadline. And obviously, as we're recording this, there's not really been any evidence of, of any progress on, on that happening. We don't know exactly what's happening behind the scenes and, and maybe there will be one that, that comes out it seems most likely at this moment in time that Ryan Gravenberg would be the one. I don't think that's a defensive midfielder in the way that you'd probably look at and, and think. So I think it was probably opportunistic if Liverpool got Moises Caicedo or it was opportunistic if they'd have got maybe even Romeo Lavia. But if you sell Fabinho and you sell Henderson and you end up with Endo, I'm not quite sure that you can maybe make that argument quite so strongly. Obviously, Liverpool didn't know that when they sold those players. They probably thought that they had a chance of, of finding someone. Obviously, for, for various reasons, didn't end up happening um, or hasn't ended up happening up to this point. But I think it basically hinges on that for me. I think, yeah, it, it's a great 52 <clears throat> a great fifty-two million if you spend that 52 million and get somebody who is effectively an upgrade. But the fact is, at the current moment in time, I think... You know, maybe Endo will be an upgrade on what Fabinho was last season, but you know, 
I don't think it was particularly difficult to improve on on what Fabinho did at certain points of last season. I think Liverpool would have gone into this summer thinking that either they stick with Fabinho until someone better comes up, or um, that they get someone who's you know a, a game changer, or or certainly someone who's a substantial improvement on what they already had in that position. So I don't know. It, it, it feels more more the other way to me, but I can I can take that sort of side of things on board as well. Yeah, it kind of it felt like it, it was an ideal opportunity to take a big pot of money that the club weren't expecting to have and reinvest it. Um, you just wonder if there was an argument that you just simply couldn't turn down forty million for Fabinho, given that you weren't gonna if you did want to sell him to anywhere else, you just weren't gonna get that. Um, given the, the condition he seemed to be in. But at the same time, Liverpool clearly haven't liked the defensive midfield market this summer. Um, Caicedo was obviously an exception to that. Lavia, I think originally the plan would have been to bring him in as a Fabinho backup, maybe. I think they had big reservations over buying him for 50 million plus and, and making him their start at number six straight away. Um, and to be honest, I think the fact that they haven't gone for anybody else shows that, you know, Maybe there wasn't fully that thought process of okay, yeah, we got to take this offer, but hang on, what, what are we going to do with it? You know, how are we going to reinvest it? And if Endo is the only solution, then I think a lot of people will justifiably be pretty um, confused by that, to say the least. Um, but if we talk about you know the the big story, I mean, with the Saudi Arabian interest, I mean, obviously Henderson and Fabinho, two huge players for Liverpool, but they don't really compare in terms of their status to, to Mohamed Salah who is a target late in the transfer window. And, and you know, we are recording this, uh, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen with this one in the, in the coming days, you know, with the Saudi transfer window, especially extended on that little bit longer after the Premier League deadline. But this is, you know, this is a huge one for Liverpool, really. This is the one that um, makes the, the biggest difference, you'd have to say, to to where the club's headed, the, you know, the interest in, in Salah. And to me, it feels like this is a kind of, more more than a football deal, it feels like a symbolic transfer that is seen as a you know top priority for the Saudi Pro League price up there. I'd say with Ronaldo and Neymar, who've obviously been there already. Do you think it's a matter of when Salah goes to, to Saudi Arabia, or, or do you still think it's, it's in the realm of if, not necessarily for this window, but you know in, in the future? Yeah, I mean for for this window, Liverpool just can't afford to do it. I don't I don't think any amount of Obviously, there are, you know, if, if they offered a billion pounds for him, then maybe you'd say yes to that. But, you know, within reason, I don't think there's a, a number that really Liverpool could expect to get. I think there's been suggestions of around 100 million euros being put on the table and, and things like that. I mean, it's it, it, it's just not worth Liverpool's while that to, to get a replacement anywhere near that level is going to be, you know, twice, three times that in, in the current market at this stage with a couple of days left. So it's... It's just not realistic to think about it for, for this moment in time. But I think it probably it is more a when rather than an if in the future. I can see completely why they would want to target Mohamed Salah. I think I'd go further than, than you with the, the Ronaldo and the Neymar thing. I think if, if Salah went there, that would be a player who is probably just about still in his prime, is a player that could quite easily go on and be the best player in the Premier League this season. You know, Ronaldo was was definitely beyond his best years when he went there. Neymar, I think, has only gone there because PSG didn't particularly fancy him anymore and nobody else in Europe was going to pay the wages. I think he probably would have gone back to Barcelona, but we know that their financial situation probably makes that impossible. So 
I, I just think Salah would be on a, a completely different level for him to, to go over there. It's, you know, a, a world-class superstar who, you know, has has no reason to go there apart from the money. But, you know, from their perspective, that would be, you know, a worthwhile investment. So I think there's definitely a conversation to be had in the future. I've seen a few people say it's, you know, inevitable that maybe next summer when he'll have a year left on his Liverpool contract, maybe, maybe then that's the time to move. But I think if I'm him, I would look at it and think, you know, Ronaldo is what, 37 or, or 38 maybe by now. You know, he's, he's still six or seven years older. Salah could quite quite easily do another, you know, sign another three-year contract at Liverpool and then still have time to go there. You know, Messi has, has only just gone to, to MLS and I think he's 36 now. Um, you know, okay, maybe in six or seven years' time, the Saudi Pro League isn't a league that you'd look at and say, you know, a 38-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo would be the prime target. Maybe by then it's got to a certain level where it is a bit more competitive. Maybe it's been integrated into to the European competitions, as we're going to talk about in a little while. But um, I just don't see an argument, really, for Mohamed Salah to want to to throw away what he's got at Liverpool. Um, the, the records are there to be broken. He's in the best league in the world. He's got the most eyes on him. He's in a team which has been to Champions League finals and has won Premier Leagues. And, you know, I, I just think it would be a complete waste for him, whether that's now, whether that's next summer. I just think there's still there's still three or four years left of Mohamed Salah at the top end of the game. And maybe by that point, as I say, maybe then we can talk about the Saudi League being, you know, at, at the top end. But the reality is right now that it's it's nowhere near that. So it would be a bit shame. I think it would be, it'd be a massive waste for him to go over there right now. But... Is it a matter of, of when? Probably yes, but um, I don't think that that should be in the immediate term or, or even the medium term, to be honest. I think there's still there's still a, a lot of years left of Mohamed Salah's career if he wants them. And I don't think that, that that interest from Saudi Arabia is going anywhere. I think if they if they could get him in three or four years' time, I think they'd be just as desperate then as they are now. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I think um, I completely take your point. It just feels like a bit of a, a waste for Salah to kind of go now when the league's still such a such a nascent stage. And it's going to take a long time before it's at before the kind of the levels of those of the player in the league kind of intersect. You feel like even if Salah does decline, it's going to be at least multiple years before kind of the league is sort of worthy of a player of his talent. But you know, you know, sometimes that doesn't you know, hold. Hold to be true. Sometimes players just go for for different reasons, whatever they may be. 
um, and they're happy to just kind of accept something that is maybe a little bit less challenging at a certain stage of their career, and that's obviously up to them. Um, let's spend like the last ten minutes or so then talking about what the the future will hold more generally. I mean, we'll start with with the transfer side of things. It kind of feels like this is different to you know the Chinese Super League, um, which obviously had you know this huge huge rise a few years ago and then very sharply fell. It feels like, you know, the Saudis are very much here to stay. They're going for the World Cup in 2030. You know, they really want to establish themselves in football. They've bought Newcastle United, etc. So it feels like the investment will keep coming. More stars will be added. The league will become more attractive. And as a result of that, Matt, do you think we can basically expect a consistent feature now every single window of multiple top Liverpool players being targeted by teams in the Saudi Pro League? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look at it any other way, isn't it? I think there's been links in the last couple of days with a few Liverpool players, Salah, the obvious one, but you know, Joe Gomez and Ibrahim Konate and one or two others, I'm sure, will will inevitably link. I know the, a couple of weeks ago it was was Alisson. It, it's gone around the Liverpool team, hasn't it, really? Um, I'm sure that that will be the case with, with other clubs as well, but I suppose it's, it's almost maybe not an easy target, but it, it's probably easier... From the outside, the, the perception will be that it might be easier to convince Liverpool to sell one of their players because they've done it in the past. And we know that that's kind of their model. I think maybe if you look at, at Manchester City, you think, well, they don't have to sell Ha Haaland to fund the next move or they don't have to sell Kevin De Bruyne now so that they can buy the next Kevin De Bruyne. Um, whereas with Liverpool, we've seen with you know Coutinho or whatever else, it, it can be at times a sell-to-buy model. Maybe it's a look at... You know, they look around the league and think, well, of all the, the teams who've got players that would represent the elite or, or would represent a big coup for them to get, maybe Liverpool is, is an easier one to, to go and, and try and get them out of. Obviously, that hasn't necessarily been the case. I think the, the suggestion is that they've asked a couple of players and, and they've basically just said no at this moment in time. But as we've discussed, the longer this goes on, the more the investment keeps on coming then. You know, inevitably, at some point, it's going to make a, a big difference, and, and suddenly, maybe that league will will look a little bit more uh, competitive and, and look a bit more appealing. But I think it's it, it's almost just as interesting for me in terms of what it means for the transfer market, in terms of you know how much uh, it's going to inflate the prices, how much is it going to alter things in in that way. I think that's almost as big a thing for Liverpool as anything um, in terms of. You know, if, if Saudi Arabia come in and, and give Liverpool 200 million next summer for, for Mohamed Salah, what does that then mean that you can spend that 200 million on? Does it increase the prices elsewhere? Um, I think that's that's almost as interesting to me as, as the other angle. Yeah, I think that's, that's a key point. You know, I already mentioned it with, with Fabinho and getting 40 million for him. Could be quite advantageous. I mean, I think we've seen it this year with a few players who've had kind of one year left on their contract as well that kind of rule of the value depreciating didn't seem to apply in a lot of those transfer cases. And I think, um, it, you know, it could be something that plays into plays into Liverpool's hands in that sense. And obviously you've got to look at it the, the flip side where if Fabinho was going for 40 million to Saudi Arabia, what does that mean for the European market? Does that mean other aging defensive midfielders are going to be more expensive? Um, I think you can just see the, the repercussions across the board. Um, I mean, we've spoken a lot about, obviously, the Saudi Pro League as it strengthens, coming to kind of um, take players off, not only Liverpool, but also, you know, top clubs in Europe. But will there be a point, Matt, where 
Liverpool actually thinks, you know what, hang on, let's start to look at some of the players that, that they have in that league, especially as the league gets stronger and the players are being tested more and more. And, you know, you don't just think about kind of the, the players that will come out of the, you know, the academies, which I'm sure there'll be a lot of investments into because, you know, to, to, to sustain success, you can't just keep buying players. You've got to have your own production line. So there's that side of things. But also, you, know, you mentioned Vega earlier. Target for Liverpool, this summer target for Chelsea, PSG, Man City as well, off the top of my head. Um, it kind of feels like the door wouldn't necessarily be closed to someone like Vega coming back to, to Europe just because he's chosen to go to Saudi Arabia now. Is I mean, is there a possibility that in, you know, two, three years' time, we're seeing Liverpool actually, you know, knocking on the door of a team like Alete and saying, yeah, you know what, this time we want to make an offer for one of your players? It's possible. The only thing that makes me think it wouldn't happen is I know how much Gabri Vega, in terms of his salary, has gone up. Now, we're talking sort of 10 or 20 times his salary. That might be because at Celta Vigo last season, he maybe wasn't on very much and maybe it doesn't completely blow things out of the water. You know, if he was on, say, 15 or, or 20,000 a week, maybe, you know, 10 times wouldn't be out of, of Liverpool's budget in a couple of years' time, for example. But I think with a lot of, of these players, I mean, Jordan Henderson isn't going to be able to come back or forget come back to, to the Premier League. He's not going to be able to go anywhere and get the same money that he's on there. It kind of comes down to that, doesn't it, really? If if a player maybe would be willing to, to reduce the salary to come back or, you know, maybe Gabri Vega in a couple of years' time thinks, actually, you know, I'm a really talented footballer, one of the best of, of my age. Am I being wasted a little bit here? Maybe he's done a couple of years racking up the money and, and thinks, actually... You know, for, for the better of, of my career and the way that I look back at my career, maybe I should go somewhere else and, and do that. It, it's hard to know exactly, you know, in terms of, of the wages and, and that sort of thing. But it, it basically comes down to, to the finances again. That's that's the reason that these players have been tempted to go over there. I think it would take you know, quite a big reversal of, of that, really, for, for somebody to say, actually, I've done a couple of years of, of this now. I'm prepared to go back and, and maybe earn a little bit less, but go back to a more competitive league. It's possible, but I don't know. I don't know how likely that is. It, it, it kind of depends almost with with that of how much did they go in on uh, to begin with and sort of how how does that league look in two years' time? If it still looks broadly the same as what it is now because, you know, Ronaldo is retired, Benzema is retired, and then they've just bought a, a, a similar equivalent who's a couple of years younger. Um, you know, maybe maybe the league doesn't progress as, as quickly as what we think it will, but... The, the fact that they're going for these sort of 20, 21-year-olds probably suggests that they are doing it a little bit more sensibly. Um, so it, it kind of depends on on a couple of different factors. I think it's it's not impossible, but it doesn't feel massively likely to me at this minute. Yeah, I think it's one of them. You know, we're talking about a league that will probably see itself as one to kind of break that break into that top five leagues um, situation, really, and establish themselves as, as part of that group. And if that's the case, it kind of feels like it's inevitable that you're going to see players, you know, moving in both directions. But I think you make an important point there, Matt. You know, in the current network, there's very few players who are off limits because of wages, really, um, certainly proportionally. Whereas the the league will have, at this early stage, a big part of its pulling power. The reality is, is um, you know, the salaries that are on offer. Um, does that kind of abate? Probably not. So. Is it a barrier to kind of transfer the other way? I think it is another really interesting element to this. But one last thing, just to finish then, Matt, I mean, talked about the transfer market completely, but like we can look beyond that too. 
there was a um, an interview recently with the uh, chief operating officer of the league, who basically said that you know the league remains committed to the AFC Champions League. Um, I think that I saw the other day that Ronaldo and, and Mane are going to Tajikistan in the in the uh, group stages of of that competition. Uh, and with all due respect, it doesn't necessarily feel like necessarily that competition will be able to compete with the the ambitions really of the league in terms of the you know the stature of of some of the the teams who will be competing. But essentially, you know, the, the CEO didn't rule out at all the the possibility of of trying to um, gain access to the UEFA Champions League um, in the future. He said, we're trying to be different, so any change or improvement that can be introduced to the league will be welcome. And it feels like, to me, that the ultimate goal would be to get, you know, essentially, especially those top four teams with the the state backing into the Champions League. So, I mean, do, do you see that as realistic? Do you think maybe in sort of five years' time, we could be talking about Liverpool Jetting off to, to Saudi Arabia for for a Champions League group game. Yeah, it, it kind of feels inevitable to me. To be honest, I think ultimately UEFA have kind of painted themselves as the, the good guys at certain points over the last few years. Not least with the Super League, but the reality is, if the money's there and Saudi Arabia is willing to pay its way into that, or you know, however it might be be done directly or indirectly, I think that that kind of makes a lot of sense and. You know, it's it, it's not just that region, is it? I mean, there's been talk at various points of, you know, the the idea of a, a 39th Premier League game that could be played somewhere. I think, from memory, I think it was a an El Clasico game was played maybe in Qatar or somewhere like that a couple of years back. It does feel like these these sorts of of games are are only they're only always sort of around the corner, aren't they? In terms of of conversations, there's always other issues bubbling away that we've got to look at, but. Um, it, it, it would be a, a big disappointment. I mean, the, the, there was talk, wasn't there, maybe about 18 months ago around, you know, maybe uh, we could take a few of the, the Champions League games across to the US and things like that. Um, it, it feels it feels a little bit inevitable to me that that will happen at some point. But um, yeah, it, it all feels a little bit too close to the Super League for my liking, I have to say. Yeah, I suppose you just kind of sit there and think to yourself, oh no, that won't happen. You know, Saudi Arabia it isn't in Europe. You know, there'll be a line that's drawn at some stage. And I think the crucial point, unfortunately, Matt, like you say, is just that the finance on offer UEFA could be huge. Um, I think um, to kind of integrate, especially, you know, if you've got obviously Ronaldo might, might retire by that point, but you've got someone like Neymar in that league, one of the most, you know, influential, well known football players of all time. UEFA will want him playing in their competitions is the reality. And the more stars they have, the more they'll be like, hang on, no, we need this for our product as well. So I think what, what you'll see is kind of a, a pathway leading to that inevitable outcome and things like maybe you'll see a UEFA Super Cup held in, you know, Saudi Arabia or something like that. Um, and, you know, more and more games. Uh, probably quite a few preseason friendlies as well between the two teams to kind of get them, you know, used to, to playing each other and, and things like that. So... Yeah, we'll we'll see how how that develops. I mean, they're expanding the club World Cup soon as well, and that is going to be kind of a maybe a bit of a trial run for that too, especially if the Saudi Pro League teams can actually compete with um, their counterparts in the Premier League. But yeah, anyway, so a lot of uncertainty, a lot of change in the game, and obviously Liverpool have felt the full force of that this summer. But we'll leave it there for this week's podcast. Let us know your thoughts, obviously, on the situation. In the comments, we'll keep obviously abreast of what's happening with Mohamed Salah and future Liverpool players who might be linked with the move. But yeah, we'll be back next week with another podcast. So make sure you join us then. Um, and until then, take care.
You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.